0: Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you're joining us. I believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We'll take one book a semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and culture that the book was written in, so that we can better understand how to apply what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. This season, we're going through the book of Daniel, and today's episode is Daniel chapter seven, Daniel's terrifying dream. Okay, well, I'm excited to dig into this with you today. We've got a lot to cover. I don't know how long this one will be, but we're just going to take it slow. And we are going to quickly review a little bit from Chapter 2 of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. If you remember, he saw a head of gold, which represented Babylon, chest and arms of silver, which we attributed to the Medo-Persian Empire, stomach and thighs of bronze, which was the Greek Empire, legs of iron, which represented Rome, and then feet of iron and fired clay, which represented an empire to come that Rome was somehow going to be tied up into. This is known in um, scholarly uh, work as the time of the Gentiles. So we are living in the time of the Gentiles and that will come to an end at Christ's return. A little bit uh, more of chapter two to review. A stone breaks off and a hand touching it with a hand. Let me start over. A stone breaks off without a hand touching it and it strikes the statue on the feet of iron and clay and crushes them. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were shattered and became like dust in the wind. The wind carried it away, and there wasn't a trace that could be found of any of these empires. But the stone that crushed the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So, chapter 7 begins, it says, in the first year of Belshazzar's reign. This is around 556 BC. And if we were to put this chronologically in order, it would come after Daniel chapter four. This is the last chapter that we will be in that is written in Aramaic because its focus was on the Gentile world. The rest of this book, eight through 12, will be in Hebrew because it's the point of view of God's people. This is also beginning the prophetic portion of Daniel. Now, something we have to discuss When studying prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled yet, we have to be sure not to set our beliefs too firm or too rigid in our own interpretation. The truth is, no one knows. This is a mixture of what will happen on earth and in the spiritual world, and we want to be able to recognize the fulfillment of it when it comes. Let me give you an example. There were many, many prophecies about Jesus' first coming, yet the most religious people in Jerusalem or in Israel had their ideas set on what that would look like, and they believed that their Messiah was going to be a man who would overthrow Rome and sit on Israel's throne. They missed all the signs because they had the wrong picture of what it was going to look like. So we will read and we'll become familiar with prophecy and we'll even familiarize ourselves with some of man's interpretations. But ultimately, we're going to sit on it and we're going to be watchful. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to give us discernment and have eyes to see so that we can understand when these things unfold. The study of end times is called eschatology, and depending on which system of eschatology you believe will determine how you interpret these scriptures. So before we even get started today, we have to talk about some nerdy things that are. we won't go too deep in, but I just want you to know that they're out there so that if you're interested, you can do some study of your own. So like I said, eschatology is the study of end times. And there are four different points of view of what that's going to look like in Christianity. There is pre-millennialism. There is historic pre-millennialism. There's post-millennialism. And there is amillennialism. That's a mouthful. These all basically have to do with the timeline of the last days. When Christ's millennial reign will happen and when he will rapture the church. So there's four different view sets and we don't have time today in the episode to talk about what each of them are, but if you're interested in learning more about this, the safest place you can go is gotquestions.org and you can type in what these four things are and it's a beautiful write-up of each one explaining what they are. I will tell you that most People in the evangelical church believe in premillennialism, which is the view that Christ's second coming will occur prior to his millennial kingdom and that the millennial kingdom is a literal thousand year reign on earth. They believe that he is going to rapture the church before the tribulation. And that, again, is the most popular view, but I have chosen in my own personal Christian walk. To take, to remove all the things that I've ever learned in church by man and read the Bible and let it speak to me of what the truth of God's word is. Because there are different people I follow and I trust and I believe that they're brilliant and they all have different views about the end times. So I'm going to let the Holy Spirit speak to me. I'm going to look through with my own eyes. I'm going to use some of their tools, but I'm not going to put all of my faith and hope in man's writing. I'm going to let the text speak. Now we can finally get into this um, this teaching. so um let's see where I am. okay, I do want to say that I'm absolutely no expert on end times. I'm a novice actually when it comes to this. there are so many prophetic books and chapters in the Bible and they all tie together and I feel like I'm just scratching the surface and tiptoeing into the water so please but. No means think that I understand all of this completely. In fact, what I understand today may change tomorrow, Um, but that doesn't mean that it's heresy or false teaching. It just means that we're growing and we're learning together, and so we're going to get started. Um, Daniel has some dreams of his own when he's about 67 years old, and he writes them down. I want you to tuck that away for later because we'll definitely revisit this, and he knows this one from today is pretty important. Verse 2 tells us that the four winds are churning up a great sea. Now, one of the things that we can say with certainty is when we read scripture and it talks about the sea, this is usually attributed to chaos. That it was believed in the ancient world that the god Yam was this, the god of the sea and that it was always associated with chaos. This is in complete contrast to Jesus saying he is living water, which was a picture of a peaceful stream of refreshment that would pour out for anyone who is thirsty. Yam was the god of chaos, the great sea. So we know immediately that there's chaos happening in the world and the four winds are churning up to bring forth this beast. Now, are the four winds the Holy Spirit? Is it demonic forces? I don't know. There's different views out there. So we're just going to leave that alone. Verse 3, Daniel says that four beasts come up. Um, at different times out of the sea. The descriptions of each beast compares to animals that devour or birds of prey. and these beasts each represent a king that will rise to power. And this description matches up beautifully with King Nebuchadnezzar's statue dream. The very first beast was one that represented Babylon. It was like a lion. Now, one of the things that we have to be mindful was that he did not see a lion rise up. He, the only way he could describe it is that this beast was like a lion. Now, this fits perfectly into the Babylon imagery because the um, lion is the king of beasts, just like Babylon was the head of gold, the most regal. Also, um, lions and eagles were national emblems of Babylon, We see this. this creature had the wings of an eagle on its back. This is, again, the king of the birds. And this bird had a wide range of territory, just like Babylon. Now, something additional that I thought was super interesting was that you can view the gates of Babylon in the British Museum. They had these walls... And on the walls of the, there were these winged creatures, including lions, and they dedicated this gate to Ishtar, the fertility goddess of love and war. Well, if you go to Revelation 19, you're gonna see this horror on the beast of Revelation 19 writing on it. And it is very similar, whenever I look at this, of the imagery of Ishtar. And it, um, I think she has it written on her forehead, Babylon, um, Mystery Babylon. And so we know that this is tying into end times with all of this imagery. Um, The wings were tore off of this creature and it stood on the ground with two human feet and it was given the heart or mind of a man. Different translations say different things. A lot of people think that this This is a picture of God humbling King Nebuchadnezzar, which led to his salvation. The second beast represented the Medo-Persian Empire. It was like, it wasn't a bear, but it was like a bear. A bear is less regal than a lion, but still strong, like the Medo-Persian Empire. It was raised up on one of its sides, which many people think could represent that the Persian side of the Persian Medo Empire was the stronger of the two. It had three ribs in its teeth, and almost everyone unanimously, I can't even say that word, um, felt like this represented the defeat of Babylon, Egypt, and Lydia. And it was also told to get up and fill your flesh. Then he saw a third beast. We know this represented Greece, and it was like a leopard. Again, less regal than the bear, but extremely fast and can cover a large territory quickly. We know that Alexander the Great conquered the known world very quickly. In fact, I think by the time he was 29, he cried because there was nothing left to conquer. This beast had four wings like a bird and four heads. Now, heads in the ancient world usually represent intelligent direction. Also, we know in hindsight that Alexander the Great had four generals that ended up inheriting a portion of land after his death. We had Ptolemy who... um, migrated and ruled Egypt. We had Seleucus that oversaw Babylon. Philip oversaw Persia and Antigonus oversaw Asia. If you want to know a lot more about this, I encourage you to go on the trip to Turkey. This is a phenomenal trip. I will be signing up to go soon. I'll be getting dates out to you whenever I choose where I'm going, but you learn a lot about these four guys in Turkey. super interesting. One thing I want to stop and pause at these... The metals in Nebuchadnezzar's dream displayed out the outward character of the kings and kingdoms as man sees them. The animals displayed the inward characteristics as God sees them. So finally we get to verse 7 with the fourth beast. We know that it's terrifying, it's frightening, it's powerful. It has a large iron teeth, iron reminding us of Rome, and it crushed and devoured its victims and trampled on what was left. This was very similar to the Roman Empire and what they did. It was different than the other three. And if you noticed, it wasn't compared to a beast in the animal kingdom. It was as if Daniel had no words to describe this beast. We know it had ten horns. Now, to us, we just think some kind of freakish creature. But to the ancient world, this was common imagery. It um, represented strength and authority. Now, this could be ten powerful rulers. Or it could just be ten as a number of completion. And it could have been figurative. I had some questions about this that I'm just asking myself and praying that God reveals to me. Um, Were these 10 rulers from the past? Like, have they already lived and served? Will they be 10 rulers of the future? Are they literal? Are they figurative? Will they rise and rule simultaneously in the last days or one at a time? Will God revive this old Roman Empire? Are these entities even human? Are they from the spirit fallen world? And are they? Going to rise up, or could it be a combination of both? Maybe they represent human kings, but also the powers that be behind them, the principalities and the powers of darkness behind them. I don't know. These are all things that are just going on in my head. Then we see another horn. He calls it a little horn that rises up among these rulers, and he even uproots three of the horns. So while these ten powerful kings are ruling, someone out of nowhere is comes out and takes out three of the kings. This little horn has eyes like a man. This indicates insight, great enlightenment, and I believe it is also indicating this: this this is a man, not a spiritual being. He spoke arrogantly and boastfully. Now, Chuck Missler is somebody I like to listen to, and he nicknamed him Mr. Big Mouth, and y'all know me, I like my nickname, so I thought that this was perfect, Mr. Big Mouth. He has the power of persuasion, self-glorification, and he speaks falsely. We're going to learn more and more about him as we go through Daniel. We can gather that he will be a world leader who's known with his way with words and eventually he will blaspheme against the most high and he will oppress the holy ones. He's known as the Antichrist. In fact, Chuck Musler says that there's 33 labels of him in the Old Testament and at least 13 mission mentions of him in the New Testament. This guy gets a lot of visibility throughout the entire Bible. So in verse nine is where this really takes off and gets exciting. It says that Daniel kept watching and thrones plural, where we're being set in place. Now, we don't know much about this from Daniel's account, but in Revelation, we learned that there are 24 elders that sit on thrones around the king, and many believe that this is an allusion to the church, where in Daniel, the church hasn't formed yet, so maybe that's why he doesn't understand, but we know that there's going to be 24 elders thrones around the Ancient of Days. A throne denotes a judgment seat and in this case bringing the world system or the beast system to a close. The Ancient of Days takes his seat. Now this is an imagery of God as an old person and in the ancient world the elderly were highly venerated. They were honored revered because of all of their wisdom. Now to me this is a practice in our culture that we have lost sight of and it really really is hurting the church I think in today's culture, we tend to shelve older people, or maybe sometimes they shelve themselves and think, I've, I've served my time, now let's let the young people do it. But as we look at the example of Paul and Timothy, we have an older, wiser man that is discipling a younger man, but it seems like in today's culture, we just let the young people the energy run, and there needs to be this practice of just sitting with the older people and learning and gazing from their wisdom. Now, I'm not saying that there's old ladies in my group. Please hear me. There's not, but I do have a group of four retired women that I have joined my small group that we studied this before I do the podcast, and I just sit in all of their wisdom. They're highly educated, and they're brilliant women, and just I glean off of everything they say. It's such a treat and has been so eye-opening to me. So, Anyway, God is depicted as the ancient of days and his clothing was white and his hair was like wool. It goes on to say that his throne was flaming with fire and wheels were ablaze and that there were rivers of fire flowing from him. Now, fire can mean two different things in the Bible. We talked about a few chapters ago in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's um, limelight that fire can be used for cleansing of the saints. But in this case, fire represents judgment or the destruction of the beast system. Uh, Court was seated and the books were opened. Now we know through God's word that there are many different books in the spiritual realm. There's the book of the living in Psalm 69, the book of remembrance in Malachi, the book of life in Philippians, and a lot of the Revelation chapters. So we don't know what book it was, but there was a book opened. And then verse 11 says, the little horn spoke arrogant words, but then he was killed and his body was destroyed and thrown into the burning fire. This guy experienced no grace. He was completely and utterly destroyed. And I can't imagine the blasphemy that he spoke, but it says that the other beast had their authority removed, but was extended life for a certain period of time. And I question God asking why, why the grace? And I hope that I get the answer one day. Verse 13 says that he continued, Daniel, continued to watch and one like the Son of Man comes with the clouds and approaches the Ancient of Days. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end and his kingdom will never be destroyed who is this? Well, this is Jesus. He calls himself the Son of Man over 80 times in the Gospels. And I think that this is so exciting. And this is something that has been reiterated time and time again through Daniel, that these kingdoms will rise and fall under the authority of God. But it, eventually, God is going to give all authority to his son, and that kingdom will reign forever. God is in control, and he is powerful, and his plan will come to fruition. Well, in Daniel 15, the vision is explained. Daniel was distressed, terrified, and he asked for the meaning of the fourth beast. I was so excited about this because we could gather some pretty good information about the first three beasts and basically those empires have risen and fall, fallen and so we can study history books about them. But this fourth beast is so unique and it hasn't come yet and we want more information and so did Daniel. So he was told that this would be the fourth world power that would rule the earth. It was different than all of the others, and it devours the whole earth, trampling and crushing everything. The ten horns represented ten kings that would rule, and I submit to you that they could be men, but I think that they are also talking about created beings in the fallen world that we cannot see, and we'll learn more about that in the future chapters. This little horn that would subdue three kings, well, he would defy the Most High. He would speak words against him and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws. Now there's something that is in a scholarly saying, I guess, is that um it things could happen oh, let me see if I put it in my notes. Once something that was and is to come was something that's kind of popular in prophecy, meaning it could have happened in the time of Uh, that the prophet spoke it. It could be speaking of current events that were actually happening, but then prophetically it could happen in a different way in the future, and the prophecy could be true for both. Um, So what I mean by this is that during the time of Constantine, it appears that things festivals, the way God was worshipped changed to become or fit more in Gentile traditions. For example, the Sabbath or going to, to church, spending time with your family and resting, happened from sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday for Jewish people. But then once Christianity swept through the Gentile world, it was then the Gentiles changed it to Sunday where they worship the sun God. Now, I believe that we worship God in spirit and truth. And so even if there were ulterior motives behind these people who changed the feast, I think God is laughing going, haha, you worship me in spirit and truth. So it doesn't matter what day, but it int- intentionally or not some of these special Sacred days were changed in the Roman Empire, but I think even though it was changed then, I think it is still something to come that this Antichrist figure will again try to change sacred festivals and laws, and particularly the feast that the Jewish people still practice today. It says, they, the holy ones, will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. This is something that's going to show up again a couple of times in our study. And basically, this is three and a half years. You can contact me if you want the breakdown of how we get that. So, who is they? They will be placed under his control for times, times, and half a time. Well, verse 21 says that Daniel watched this little horn wage war against God's holy people and was prevailing against them until the ancient one, the Most High, came and judged in favor of his holy people. Thank you, God. Well, something that just stuck out to me these are just thoughts from Carrie Hunt. This is not anything scholarly, these are just questions I'm asking. Matthew 16 18 is a picture of. Jesus and his disciples at Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, I tell you, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So Jesus is telling Peter that I will build my church upon you and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. But here in Daniel, in his vision, we're seeing the holy ones that are being are, that are having war waged against them and the little horn is prevailing. And so this makes me think that the church will no longer be here. That maybe this is the remnant of Jewish people that will rise up and recognize Christ for who he is. But in the last days of the tribulation, they are going to be heavily persecuted. I know through God's grace that they will endure and that there is a special special gift in heaven for those that are uh, persecuted. But I do believe from what I'm seeing through scripture right now, that that is not going to be us. That is going to be people perhaps after their rapture. Um. So it says they took possession of the kingdom, the holy ones, and that kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. The court will Take away the dominion from the beast and it will be completely destroyed forever. Hallelujah. Daniel's thoughts terrified him and his face turned pale, but he kept this matter to himself. Okay, so my thoughts. One, we tend to shy away from end time prophecy because besides it being weird and confusing, it scares us. Revelation 1 3 says something, and I want to leave you with this, and I want you to be encouraged. Jesus, or John writes, The one who reads this is blessed. And those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it are blessed because the time is near. He wins, guys. He overcomes darkness and he establishes his kingdom forever. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to comfort us during the hard times leading up to this. I encourage you to put your trust in him. He's got this under control. Also, Something that is my takeaway is that Peter our rock, our original rock in um, acts 2:17 says, in the last days God says that he will pour out his spirit on all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy your men." Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. So there are going to be gifts. Well, the end times, since Jesus resurrected and poured out His Spirit in Acts, there has been gifts of prophecy, visions, and dreams. So don't be alarmed if you're experiencing experiencing these supernatural um, gifts write them down. That is the very first thing that we come across in this chapter is that Daniel had a dream and he wrote it down. I encourage you when God is speaking to you through these gifts that he has given us, write them down and have the wisdom of Daniel to keep them to yourself until you feel released to share them with someone. Ask God for their meaning just like Daniel did and then thank him for that gift and steward it well. Just today as I was preparing for this, I typed this out and then I had to go to a meeting and I ran into a friend and while we were waiting for the meeting to start, she shared with me that she had a dream the other night and didn't remember what it was. But then last night, the Lord woke her up by a dream of him beating on the door. She said it startled her and it was like the sense of urgency. So she got up and he spoke to her and told her, to, to write. So she went and got in her favorite place where she studies his word and begins to write, and he began rem- reminding her of her dream. So she wrote it out in its entirety. And she kind of had an idea of what some of it could have meant, but she asked God for the meaning and he downloaded the meaning. And I mean, it was powerful and it was things that she said she could never come up with and was blown away by the interpretation of it. And as she's telling me these things, my spirit is just encouraged because I had just literally prepared this, what I'm saying now. and. I mean, an hour later, she tells me of her experience of having a dream and writing it down and God giving her interpretation. So I just want to encourage you. He is on the move. And if you're experiencing these things and maybe you've shared it with people and they've left you to think that that's weird or or, or they look at you crazy, that's just not the right people. You need to find the right people to help you navigate this and grow in your gift and cheer you on. Well, verse 19 Um of, I'm sorry, I had to catch where I was at. Okay, so we're in Acts chapter two, where Peter tells us that in the last days, God's gonna pour out a spirit. He also goes on to say, "'I will show wonders in the heaven above "'and signs on the earth below, "'blood and fire, billows of smoke. "'The sun will turn to darkness and the the moon to blood "'before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, "'and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord "'shall be saved.'" I just want to tell you that the end to this beast system that we have been living in has coming to an end. And as believers, we need to have our lampstands our lamp stands full and we need to share the gospel and our testimony with others. We need to read and study for ourselves so that we have a sense of urgency inside of us to tell other people. And we want them to enjoy everlasting the everlasting kingdom with us. Invite someone to go to church with you. Do you know that there's an 80% chance that they will say yes? Make sure that you're going to a church that is discipling the flock preaching the message of the cross. I want you to be aware of churches that are teaching self-help just to tickle your ears. Go to a place where the spirit is alive and moving and the word of God is proclaimed. Ask how you can be a part and serve. Get involved in small groups and get involved in Bible study and invite other people to join you. Also, thank God for the book of Daniel and ask him to give you eyes to see when Mr. Big Mouth rises to power. Pray for discernment. We will never understand um, what is all going on in the spiritual world, but I promise you it's going to be a war. We'll get a little glimpse of that coming up soon, but I know that we need this discernment because Mr. Big Mouth is going to be able to speak and persuade many, many people, and we want to be on to him. And I know that God will speak because we've been diligent to dig in. Well, it's been 30 minutes. We're going to wrap up. We'll continue next week with chapter eight. This will be kind of a continuation of what we're talking about. The dream happens a couple of years later, but again, it's going to go hand in hand with all of the dreams in Daniel. I personally can't wait. Thank you for continuing going on this journey with me. We're going to get through it together. We're going to be better for it. Happy reading.